0: Palm Sunday, big celebration today, the story of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the beginning of the Holy Week. It's a story filled with joy and excitement and anticipation, commingled with dark conspiracies and impending doom. Let me just capture this scene for you so you understand how it plays into where we're headed today. Every person in the nation of Israel was required to come to the the holy city for these festivals. And that's why the city was at capacity. This is the Passover week. In fact, if our western calendar matched the Jewish calendar, today would be the day after Passover. For us, the resurrection happening on the first day of the week is so important. So we celebrate it on a Sunday. But were we following the Jewish calendar, actually, by the time you are done today and you'll head out with your palms, hopefully your heart filled with what God's done here, during the original Passion Week, Jesus would have been walking down the Via Dolorosa on his way to Calvary. He would be, not long from now, taking the nails And make no mistake, Jesus took the nails. He made it very clear before this moment that no one could take his life. He was laying it down. There was nothing that they did to Jesus that he didn't allow to take place. He took the nails. And he would die for our sins. That's what we would be remembering if we were following the actual Jewish calendar. It's perfectly fitting because on the day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, that was the day of the week of Passover that every household decided on and chose their sacrifice for the Passover feast, typically a lamb. So we look back now and hear the words of John the Baptist years before when he saw Jesus coming. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you see it through that lens of eternal purpose and timing, what we understand is on the very appropriate day as Jesus entered in Jerusalem, he was not offering himself as their king. He was offering himself as their lamb. who would be sacrificed not only for their sins, but for the sins of everyone. So when you think of Palm Sunday, with all the joy and celebration, I want you to think about it as Jesus committing himself, going into the lion's den of opposition, knowing full well that the end of it would be this horrific death, And I want you to see Jesus walking forward into God's plan for his life because it had always been the plan. Weeks earlier, there's a moment when it says from that point on, Jesus set his heart for Jerusalem. And what that means is that Jesus set himself apart. The word is consecrated himself for God's purposes. Now this whole series has been about followership, We started it by looking at Jesus' call to come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We have looked at the holy habits, the sacred practices and rhythms that are part of that life of followership. Today, we're going to use this story as a launching off point to help us understand that the cross is the means by which Jesus shows you the full extent of followership. And here's the thing I want you to think about. There were a lot of people who were following Jesus. But just because you are following Jesus doesn't mean you are a follower of Jesus. Where we see this as our model for followership is in Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to say this with me. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The thing I want you to look at is that really interesting phrase. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, right now, already, what's coming up in a lot of you when I talk about consecration and sacrifice Everything in your spirit says this is about loss. This is about suffering. This is about death. You're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. The cross was the means to a greater joy. It was a means to eternal life. It was a means to accomplishing something greater. Jesus is calling you and I to understand that to truly follow him, there was a cross for us to take up And in taking it up, we are not following him to death. We are following him into life. We are following him into resurrection. But we need to understand what that means in order for us to truly walk that path with him. And so we're going to answer two quick questions this morning. First of all, what does it mean to consecrate myself? And then we're going to talk about how do I go about doing that? What does that look like? And so we're actually going to go back to the Old Testament. It's Joshua chapter 3 verse 1 through 5. We're going to pull five principles of consecration out of the fifth verse. But now let me give you the context of this passage before we go there. You may not know the story of the Old Testament. You are not without opportunities this week. (laughs) There's going to be all sorts of old movies that tell the stories, and I'm guessing the Ten Commandments is someplace... I don't think Charlton Heston looks anywhere near what Moses looked like, and I'm not vouching for the quality, the historicity, or the ethnic accuracy of the characters, but you can see the story of the children of Israel that precedes this. They're in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. God hears their cries, sends Moses to deliver them, and we remember after that, there's something like 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. How many know about that? Sure but did you know the journey to the promised land happened a lot quicker than that they were meant to go in in pretty short order into the promised land but when they got there that generation was so scarred by their history by their spiritual uh, naivety by their disbelief and disobedience they were not capable of receiving this gift that god had given them that's why It took 40 years because every one of them had to die. So they just kept wandering to that generation passed away because they were not capable or obedient or faithful enough to just take what God had called them to. So now a new generation that was raised during those 40 years on the things of God. They've worshipped God. They've been in the Word. They're spiritually formed. They're ready And Joshua is now in charge. And so now, a whole generation later, God's plan is about to unfold. These are the words that were written during that period. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out for Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have not been this way before. That's almost like one of those jokes. Of course they hadn't been this way before. For 40 years, all they had been doing was a circular route. It was probably a path in the wilderness That they knew. It's the only path they knew. And now, finally, a new path to walk down. Listen to me. When God calls you to a new thing, it's always going to involve a path that you're not familiar with. He's always going to call you into an untraveled area. And that's what will keep some of you from ever following Him. Because you want to know what's ahead of you before you buy into the deal. This is what's called faith. It requires stepping into the unknown, a road that we have never traveled. And all they knew was that that road led to a river that was at high season and no one could cross. They didn't know what God was going to do. And then it's this verse that I want you to focus on. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. So now, what does it mean to consecrate myself? And what can we learn from this passage? Well, the Hebrew word that Joshua uses here is kadash. And it means to set something apart or to make sacred. Always in the Bible, when it's used, it means to set something apart to God. God. So remember that. And and what I want you to see is we're going to take this verse apart. Five aspects of this verse as we walk through it. We're going to learn five aspects of of Kadash. The first is just the word consecrate. When we consecrate, we set ourselves apart not just to God, but from our past, from our old life, from our priorities and goals. You see, this is the thing about consecration. It's most often used in terms of sacrifice. In fact, we're going to come back to that analogy towards the end when Paul uses it to describe consecration for us. It's giving ownership. Whatever we're setting apart for God has to come out of whatever it was previously dedicated to. So it's a calling out from our old life. Here is why, and we talked about this at the beginning of the series, here's why some of you just find your faith in Christ isn't working because you haven't come out from your old life. You've brought Christ into that, and you think that's what it means to be a follower. God's calling you out of that. He wants to meet you there. He wants to bring healing. He wants to tell you you're loved in spite of the decisions you've made there. But he wants to free you from that and call you out into something else. To consecrate yourself is to leave the death of your old life. Not to walk towards death, but to leave the death in order to enter into God life. The second word, consecrate yourselves. This word is both individual and communal. You need to consecrate yourselves and all of you need to do it. That's the word. It is both an individual act and for the entire congregation. And to the degree that as a congregation, we have individually set ourselves apart for God, that's when God is going to lead us down new territory. And I believe the reason why God's done so much here in these years is because so many of the people that joined on and have continued to be here have said to God, we're in, we're fully yours. We're, we're here for whatever you want to do. We, we've seen God do that, but there's more in front of us. And you are a part of that. So really, here's what I want to say. If you consider the journey of your congregation to the degree that you have consecrated yourself, you are determining what God can do for all of us in some sense. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Even if I had a collar and a robe on, I can't consecrate any of you. I have no authority to do that. I can't hold a service here where I consecrate your pets or your motorcycles. I can't consecrate your children. I have no capacity to do that. You consecrate yourself. You make that decision. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. It is an act of faith always to consecrate ourselves, anticipating what God will do as a result. And this is another place where some of us never make that full measure of devotion to God because we just want to know what's at the end. Tell me where this is gonna take me, what it's gonna require of me, then I'll decide if I'll consecrate. That's not how God works. He works in those who have said, Lord, I'm in. It's a new road, you know the end of it. I see the beginning and I'm taking it. It's for tomorrow that we set ourselves apart. And then there's this promise. If we do that, the Lord will do amazing things among us. God will act miraculously only when his people have given themselves completely. Please write that down. Put it in your heart. God will act most miraculously when his people have given themselves completely. Did you know there's strong historical evidence that in the Great Awakening, which you may be aware swept through new england and spread throughout our nation many many thousands of people trusted in christ the bible belt down south is sort of the remnant of some of that that great awakening that swept spiritually and radically changed culture for good for that time did you know that it's very likely that it completely bypassed the city of worcester did you know that the clergy and the city leaders determined they did not want that message preached here. It kind of feels like the the leaders of the cities when the apostles came preaching the gospel and they said, are these not those that are turning the world upside down? Messing up our system? You know, we know that they weren't turning the world upside down. They were turning the world right side up. It was already upside down. But from the perspective of those who are used to that state of being, when people's lives get turned around and when people set their hearts for God, culture changes. Worcester didn't want anything to do with it. Did you know that? And so the Great Awakening moved right around them. That's what will happen to the person who will not set themselves apart for God. God's going to move. It's going to sweep right around you. Thank God that's not the case in Worcester anymore, amen? We are seeing God do so much in this city because there are people all over the city from all sorts of ethnicities, all sorts of language groups that together have set their hearts for God, and he's lighting up this city for Jesus. And one of the things that's happened is that spiritual leaders have actually been meeting routinely in the mayor's office, and I've been there when those people have confessed on behalf of Worcester the history of denying the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. You can consecrate a city when you've consecrated yourself to Jesus. You can tear down strongholds. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things. We can almost ignore those last two words, but they matter so much. What are they? among you it can happen here it can happen with us i grew up hearing all these amazing stories about revival that was breaking out in india and in africa and on the west coast with hippies that was the era i grew up in we would sit there and go praise jesus look at all the amazing thing he's doing out there and as i got older i thought Why isn't it happening here? And if it's not happening here, how do I know it's really happening there? But I've had the joy of being part of something this last decade of my life where God has been doing it here. So grateful. And it's really just the beginning. There are new roads for us to travel together, folks. And I can't promise you you're going to know the end of it. And if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for all the answers, then you don't understand what consecration means. And you don't understand how God works. He calls us to the untraveled path. And he constantly calls us, therefore, to set aside ourselves, to set aside our past. Now, how do we go about doing that? What would that mean for me? And I want to go to two very familiar verses to talk about how do I consecrate myself to God. And out of those, I want to draw three principles of what it would involve for me to consecrate myself to God. The first is from Romans chapter 12. Paul is taking that Old Testament idea of the altar of sacrifice to paint a picture of what the consecrated life looks like. And let's say this together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Living sacrifices. That's a contradiction in terms. You sacrifice something, if you've done your job right, it's dead living sacrifice that's like an oxymoron right jumbo shrimp (laughs) government intelligence (laughs) here's the thing the idea of sacrifice now because of Christ becomes a living thing not a dead thing and we can learn two things from this at least that I want to share with you the first is this we are no longer to bring a sacrifice but to be one ourselves you are the sacrifice you're laying yourself on the altar. And you're saying when you do that, I'm giving up ownership. I put it on the altar, it's God's. There's no take-backs. I don't get a receipt. And here's the second point that I'd say Paul is helping us see here. God wants you to offer all of your life for all of your life. We are giving Him our past that we might walk from it freely. We're giving Him our present that He might use it. For his purposes, we're giving him our future. And that means we're giving him our hopes, our dreams, our moral choices, our relationships. They're all his now. And what he gives in return is described in the Bible as amazing things. Things that you think all those things are going to give you, but in fact, God's got it in his hand waiting for you. The second verse is Jesus himself, and this is where we double back to the original illustration of consecration, which is the cross itself. Now in Luke chapter 9, this is a point in the gospel where Jesus is really beginning to press what followership is. Many people were following him at this point. That doesn't mean they were followers. And there were those at that point who said this. These are hard teachings. I want to ask you a question. Are you sitting here thinking that today? Are you sitting here right now saying, this is hard? Jesus said it to the great crowds. It says, from that point on, many withdrew and were no longer following Him. It's what set followers of Jesus apart from fans of Jesus. And this is what he said to them. Let's say it. Jesus said to them, whoever wants to be my follower must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Now, I added a particular emphasis there. And uh, you know what word it is I want you to focus on. What is it? Daily and that's the third principle about how do I consecrate myself to God? It has to become a holy habit, a lifelong practice of daily surrendering myself to God. Here's why. Here's the difference between salvation and consecration. Two really big words. Salvation is when God makes us His child. I confess my sin. I surrender my life to Jesus. God sends His Holy Spirit into my life, and I become part of His family. That's a God thing, and that's a one and done. But consecration is a lifelong battle because we're living out this God life in a world that is constantly at war against it. 24-7, 365. It is constantly calling out to you and saying, not today, not right now, Not this week. Satisfy some other longing or need in some other way than God's way. And we're not even aware how often because it's like the undertow. You know, you stand at the beach and you're standing in the same spot and as the tide's going out, what happens to your feet? They sink. You think you're still standing where you are, but you're actually sinking. That's what culture does to you. It's constantly pulling you down. And you don't even know the ways it's doing it that are keeping you from being fully consecrated to God. That's why this has to be a day-to-day commitment. It needs to be a a, a daily prayer that echoes Galatians 2.20. We say, Lord, today I have been crucified with Christ. (laughs) I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Today, the life I live in this body, I live in the name of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why it's a daily holy habit. Now, if you're counting, we've given you 11 of them over the last weeks. Maybe you feel a little overwhelmed. I don't know what you're filling your life with, but it's got all things that you think are pretty important. Some of them actually are important. Others of them you've made important in your life. You might be A high school student working hard to get into the right college, and so you're filling yourself with all the extracurricular activities that you can. Some of you are in college, and right now your employment is your next thing, so you're filling your life right now with things that you can put on your resume for the sake of your career. And you're thinking, how can I do anything else but focus on that? Some of you are building your career, and so you're working all those extra hours, doing all the extra stuff, because that's what your security is in. Some of you, all the sports you've got your kids in. (laughs) Right? So now we've come to this set of other things. Solitude. Simplicity. Generosity. Justice. Man, that was inspiring. We all want to do that. We all want a better prayer life. Spiritual community. Church. We want to be in church. Witnessing. Yuck. But it should be something we do mercy timing god's word worship we have presented you 11 things that if you're going to be a true follower of god must be in your life so how do you pull that off this is what god is calling you to do he doesn't want you to fit it in this life this is the problem you're trying to bring god into your life with established priorities And passions that you just don't even question belong there and you will never fit God into that life because he invites you into his life and when we sacrifice all of that for the sake of Jesus there's room for all of this when I put God first and say these things are so important to God I'm gonna have these things in my life then here's what happens You begin looking at those other things and you start making wiser choices. You're able to bring in what was always good from that life. And there's plenty of room for the things that fit into a life that is God's life. And that's the only place you're gonna find the amazing things that we all hunger for. It's the only place. Consecration continually says this isn't my life anymore. This is my life. This is where I'm going to find life that is truly life. This is where I'm going to journey down the untrodden paths with God. And He's going to do amazing things. And I'll wonder why I filled my life with so many things that will die before I will. When I can do things that will live forever. Father, You have called us to life. And in Your economy, as Christ modeled for us, We need to die to this old life of death itself so that we might live in newness of life in Christ. There is the cross and the tomb before there is the resurrection. For all of us, Father, it's for the joy set before us that today we say we are yours. I am yours, Father. All I know I can give to you, and all I don't know that you have to yet convict me of, I'm saying... It's all yours. It's all on the altar. In Jesus' name, amen.